Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Did you guys generally go into a uh, album session with a concept? Uh, or just come up with ever songs you came up with, and that would be what it would be. No, we would come in with the material that what, but but not so locked tight. Like if you go into a recording session with a studio musician, and then you pass out the sheet and you play it, we would say this is the theme, this is the song, these are the five tunes we're going to do. Let's see what we can do with them. And the writer or whatever would kind of indicate what was anticipated and what we thought we might want to create on the record. And he knew that there would be other input. But no, we would, we would, it would, that would, that would be the way it would happen in the studio. And uh, we would begin to, we, we, I guess it would be a mini rehearsal, just do a dry run, you call it, to get an idea, say, if, if the song was written by Wilton or Joe or myself or whatever, we would say, this is what I kind of thought about on this, like, uh, well, you're talking musically, at letter A, I think it should be a little funkier, and then letter B should be lighter, you know, some just, just talk general, you know. And uh, then input would happen after the dry run. And if sometime after it got into uh, overdubbing, maybe, maybe we would take a, a second take. But usually, as, as you mentioned earlier, the camaraderie would usually take over. If a guy said, well, I know what this is about, you know, and we would just cut it and have fun on it. And there would be some spontaneity and creativity that was not, not necessarily planned or orchestrated. Do you remember? Laying down a track like Spiral on uh, the Southern Nights. Uh, That's the first track on that album, Spiral. Um, I saw you guys, I saw a clip from the 70s. Um, I think more recent than that too, where you guys did play it live. Um, do you remember that one? Yeah, I do, Spiral. But that that one, I think we had to rehearse. And that was, again, you talk about funky, but... It wasn't into the R and blues type, the rhythm and blues kind of a feeling, you know. So we had Got to, some rock influence. In it. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. So I had to d develop a. I won't say a different technique, but yeah, th those compositions required uh, using the term fusion of groove and harmonic concept, and like you say, a different flavor that would normally not be played on, on a funky groove or in, in a jazz groove. And so that was a challenge in a in a sense, but we felt that we it was it was fun to experiment within that genre. It's phenomenal. The playing on that is just incredible. Yeah. You know, just the the uh, syncopated groove and, and yeah. everything. It's just everyone shines just so brightly. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has their moment in the in the spotlight. 
Yeah, thank you. I, yeah, I have to recall that because you're reaching way back. And when you've done so many records, I have to remember what happened in the studio, you know. But yes, all I know that 90% of all the things we did were great fun and, and, and great musical experience, a means of expressing ourselves musically and eventually ex realizing like even this record that I tell you coming out, the universality of music. And I was, even though I was joking, they said, if you play a note in Burbank or you're recording it in Hollywood or you're recording in, you know, Bremen, Germany, it's it, it, the, the feeling is, is there and the people can appreciate it or not appreciate it, but it's all based on sound, sonics, And unfortunately, music became more of a visual thing than an audio medium based on marketing and so forth. Did, did you feel that the um, flavor of the group, if you will, uh, changed when Wayne Henderson uh, left? And, and was that amicable or what happened? Well, I wouldn't go so far as not ample. It was a matter of choice that he wanted to do some things on his own, but it, it certainly changed the group in terms of the uh, tenor trombone sound, basically. And there was not really a replacement for him. I think at some, some time period, I think there might have been one or two uh, trombone players because of some of the arrangements that played. But yeah, that was, that was kind of a, a, a different change, you know. And that's why I say he had his, when I talked about earlier, he had his own opinion about some things he wanted to do. And sure, I mean, every, every, like the song, like Quintel talked, everything must change, you know? So uh, he uh, thought that there would be a different platform for him to, uh, to do, you know, some things like he wanted to do. And he called them the, the Freedom Ride, I think the Freedom, Freedom, Freedom Sound, the Freedom Riders. I'm trying to remember the name of the band. Well, he was uh, the last to join and then the first to leave, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the history of the group. Uh, let's see. Of, of the four, of, of, of you four guys. Uh, I yeah, that's true. I had to think for a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he went on to produce Ronnie Laws, Hubert's younger brother. Mm -hmm. So was that a relationship that was related to relationship you had with the Laws well, family? That, or? Oh well, I mean the the Laws family. We all knew each other. But uh, Wayne, I just guess threw his hat in the ring to do that. And he was a friend of Hubert. So it, it was a matter of, I mean, any of us could, were capable of doing it, could have done it, but it, you know, it just had a ball for felt, you know. Uh, I don't think he tried to usurp us uh, to, to, to do it. I, it's just what happened, you know. Did you guys realize at the time how much influence you're having on your contemporaries, you know, like Ronnie Laws or, um, you know, Grover Washington Jr. or, um, some of the other groups from that time, like um, David Sanborn, Spyro Gyra, Tom Scott, Bob James, you were influencing all of them, in my opinion. Did you well, guys that feel is, that? And, that, and that is true. In fact, the, the one that was the most vocal about it was uh, uh, Grover Washington, who recorded a song that I wrote, and with, uh, again, with lyrics. Uh, um, <clears throat> oh, God, I have to, to think of that went over. But he acknowledged that fact, you know. Uh, but uh, now I have to think of the song. You have to look at it. I, but I, I just had a moment because I've written some other things, but uh, but he did recorded it, it. Did it have vocals? Yes. It's not just the two of us, though, right? No, no, no. Yeah. I, 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 in fact, I'm, just, I'm disrespecting all of the guy who co-wrote it with me. But no, Grover was very, in fact, he was very influential. Uh, no, we were influential to him, and he was very uh, much of a... A, a spawning point for that movement to happen 
because I think he was one of the first people that there was an uh, uh, accolade of almost like a memento uh, statue or something in Philadelphia for him, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, but there are other people, yes, we did influence, but not in terms of overt acknowledgement. And I, I think I backed up a little bit, but uh, um, no, I mean, I know Bob James and all those guys. In fact, um, Spira Gyra and Tom Scott and all those people, you know, we influenced playing in that groove because uh, that's, um, and I think to limitedly, they might have acknowledged some of that, you know, but but never, we never shared moments of, hey, I'm 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 with what you guys are doing. In fact, it's interesting because Tom Scott is on a radio show that uh, broadcast, and I'm doing tonight um, on K Jazz, which I told you, and uh, I don't know, I don't remember him acknowledging that, but uh, we, yeah. So maybe you can can, can uh, bring it up with him today, maybe. Yeah, well, we, we get together. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. I don't want to think that we were part and part of simple for his his career. You know, you know, even some of the uh, non-jazz groups at the time too, like Average White Band. You know, oh well, jazz. the Average White Band, they would definitely say they were influenced. You know, yeah, yes, yeah. They added lyrics to your your track. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, yeah. They, they 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 now I forgot about them. They definitely, man. That's what I have to think. Yeah, they definitely. Uh, in fact, the drummer he was definitely saying, you know. Uh, what, what they were influenced. And like I said, obviously that was an influence if they put lyrics to one of the tracks, you know. Yeah, that's not commonly done for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you guys got into the 80s, um, you only put out a couple more records in the early 80s. And you, well, you also started doing solo records in the late 70s. And the guys were on your solo records. And everyone was doing solo records, right? Joe and, and, and Wilton and you, you're all doing solo records, but you mm-hmm. also were all on each other's records. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, we were still camaraderie, but that's kind of an extent to what you were saying about Wayne. Uh, we, we wanted to put a different spotlight, not selfishly, uh, let's see what we'll do if it's just me, myself, and I, you know what I mean? Directing the traffic, you know, that kind of a thing. You know? but, we'd, but we knew who we could call to help make that happen. Because just, and I'm no point, I'm not putting the, calling the studio musicians to come in and play, even if you got the idea. I, I knew there would be a, a, a little bit less of a uh, stressful conversation if I talked to my buddies, you know, who would know more where I'm coming from or be able to interpret it in the sense of which I'm, what I'm trying to aspire to. So that might have answered your question. Uh, yeah. Did, did you feel like on your records that bore your name um, that there was a difference from the Crusaders records? I mean, and what, what, what kind of difference were you trying to accomplish? Well, that's interesting. I've been trying to accomplish this, except what I said, different spotlight of doing things without having the musicianship, our camaraderie with different musicians, like uh, the thing that I did, Jasmine Breeze, which uh, you have to listen to that. It's like I had Bobby Hutchison on, on the record and I used a, a Japanese uh, uh, Kodo player and all that stuff, you know, just, just doing some different things, you know which they would have probably could have been contributed to, to that, but it just, you just want to open another door, you know, to kind of, to, to do things. And that's part of, of growth and, and experimentation of, of music, musicians, you know. Who were a couple of your favorite drummers from, let's say the seventies that were, 
prominent in the seventies or into the eighties, maybe. Well, the seventies, I, I don't know who I, in particular, the seventies, I have so many people that, I mean, that's, I don't even think I maybe can even like three. Name three, if you could, you know, like a Billy Cobham or. Yeah. Oh, that's a good, yeah. Billy. I had to, yeah. Billy, Billy Cobham. And then you name them and I can either say yeah or nay. Len, Lenny White. Not necessarily. Lenny I mean, Williams. I know Lenny Williams. Um, Miles Drummer. Oh yeah. Oh, well, you know, I was just thinking about the one who recorded with uh, with Bill Withers. Uh, oh, God, I think I'm looking at his face. I just Harvey Mason. Um... Harvey Mason took my job. With I was working with George Shearing, and I was working with him. But I wouldn't say it was a mutual admiration society. I knew he was a great drummer, but uh, I, I respect his musicianship, but not in terms of an influence or, or that kind of a thing. No. But he, I was the drummer with George Shearing, and I left because I was it was in conflict with what uh, during a time in an interim period with the Crusaders or whatever. Again, experimenting on my own, um, but I had to go out and do some other things. And Harvey was the drummer that replaced me. If you look at a record on my solo record called "We Went West," uh, I don't know if you've seen that one, but uh, you should get a yeah. What, what, what year was that? I have all the. Uh... The this new one, here. yeah. The We Went West was uh, uh, all of the guys that were, you know, like from the from the from that came from somewhere else and came to the West Coast. And I will name them all if you have it there. You can, oh, yeah, twenty fifteen. That's a recent one. Yeah, mm -hmm. yep. yeah. With yeah, with uh, Charlie Shoemake, and just to show you about the racial situation, he went to the University of Houston. I went to Texas Southern University, which was maybe three blocks apart. And we got, never got a chance to, to, to see each other, say hello to each other, even though he kind of knew what I was doing and I kind of knew what he was doing. But in those days, never the twains were supposed to meet. So we were both Houstonians. And just to show you about the ridiculousness of uh, all of that, and that's what I stated some of that on some of my, my projects. But uh, all of the guys, you know, from we went west, I, I mentioned him, but... Uh, of course, uh, Ron Eshte from, from, from Louisiana and uh, Scott Mayo is from New York. And they all came from that particular place to, to go uh, to, uh, to the West Coast. And my good friend who worked on the orchestral record, who has become a wonderful friend and a compadre, I'm almost akin to Joe is uh, Evgeny Maslow, or Eugene Maslow from St. Petersburg, Russia. He is an incredible musician. I mean, concert-wise, classical-wise. In fact, to show you how good he is, and, and I'll say was, I produced a record when I was president of a label called Mac Avenue Records. And uh, Shirley Horn, who was a big friend of mine, I wanted her to do a project with me. She came to the studio and I said, I have a couple of songs I would Shirley. She was, you know, she trusted me that I wasn't gonna give her any crap to sing or since it wasn't a standard at that time. But she heard him tinkle a piano and she always accompanied herself and he played piano to accompany her and she was super comfortable and said, it was a great experience for her and to show you his musicianship. And if you listen to that record, it was uh, uh, Come, uh, Come Back to Me Love and a couple other, one other tune where he played. Which, anyway, which, which album is that on? That's on the Mac Avenue uh, label. Uh, I'm trying to think it was the legacy. I might've been the legacy lives on. I'm not, not quite sure, but Mac Avenue, you'll find it with Sherry Horn being a, a singing 
but definitely you, look for that one. Yeah, yeah please. And that, that just give you an example of the kind of people I now associate myself with, especially since my, all of my other friends are departed. They come to the party with a different uh, musicianship, but I was just expanding on, on Eugene because he's just an orchestrator and worked with me on this orchestral project. And I hope that you will like it, but it's, it's way out of the quote unquote jazz genre, except for the spontaneous creative, creative uh, solo sections, you know. And uh, in fact, Andreas Oberg, who's from Sweden, he is the funkiest white blonde guitar player that I've ever seen. I mean, he sounds like B.B. King sometimes. Mm. And just to show you about how music has transpired, he's on my record from Sweden. So like I said, it, that's that back to the end, sound redundant, but the universality of music and influence and what it, how it is related to, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of cultural differences or whatever it is, the, you know, the, there's no line of demarcation except your ears, you know? Yeah, that's something the music industry has, I've still maybe not uh, realized, but- Well, uh, I would say they have not realized. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I said, the music industry. What does the word industry mean? <laughs> or, organized for the purpose of commerce? <laughs> hey, I like your definition. Is your middle name Webster? <laughs> <laughs> so when is that record coming out? Uh, I think, uh, according to my people, around the end of March or the 1st of April. And it's called Orchestrally Speaking. And, and there'll be hard copies, I trust, not just downloads? Well, it's going to probably be downloaded. And, you know, CDs, I won't go into that story, making minimal CDs and... Uh, which is unfortunate because the CD thing was a very convenient situation. And even now you can't, I'm mean, even on some of the computers you used to could even plug in a CD, you know, I don't know if you knew that, but uh, now you can't even do that. And even the cars don't even have CD players, you know, that's true. But I still like CDs because you get the package, you get to hold it, you get the lyrics, hopefully you get some information. You don't get the same information when you would you would you stuff. would you would you would you please repeat that again so maybe some people that can make a difference we've been preaching that tune until my throat gets sore so yeah. that's it that's true and that's that's the facts but it but but back to the mi word music industry yeah yeah well and the digital world we're in you know so, so um why why did you sort of uh why did the crusaders basically break up in the early 80s i mean i know there was some reuniting and so forth but it wasn't the same uh i think there was a couple of things some i can get into in depth there weren't uh things that were certainly i'm not going to use the word violent but uh, distasteful but it was just we realized that maybe the time had come let's just leave it at that you know i don't know that's probably not a good enough answer uh, but uh, that's there was some other factors, but I would, would not want to get into. Well, because you guys were together like thirty years or whatever, mm -hmm. and then you hit like that commercial peak, and then wasn't very long after that that kind of mm -hmm. you know. And there were there were some reasons, but like I said, some of them are I would I would rather not not get into because um, it, it could wouldn't be offensive to those people who would understand but offensive for those people who uh, relate to some of those reasons. Mm. And I leave it at that. And I think it's better for us not to pursue that. All right. Um, 
So it was only a few years ago within like a, a year and a half span that we, we lost Joe and we lost Wilton and we lost Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that must've been a devastating period for you. And, super, uh, de- super devastating for all of them. And I won't say in, in particular Joe, because we, we really hung out together, you know, and for his, him being in the, in the rhythm sections that we call it, you know, and to keep, we, we had to have a, a combined effort of thought sometime, you know, but, I, but yeah, that was really hurtful for me. And the fact that I'm still standing is still, uh, I won't say questionable to me, but I guess I'm supposed to be here a little bit longer to try to expand on some of the, uh, the genesis of what we were trying to do and, and expand on that and also bring in some new life to what we intended to be as musicians that we studied so hard to be craftsmen. Mm. And, um, I mean, Joe Sample is just such a virtuoso. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes maybe he's overshadowed by some of the contemporaries of the era, like Herbie Hancock and mm-hmm. uh, Chick Corea and so forth. But I think he was right there, don't you? Oh, he was definitely there. But again, when you get off of the, of the style, and I'm not going to put point at your critics or whatever, like when we did the record Caramel, and I produced and played on that, I mean, it was definitely not into the, the typical style of what, what, like you said, the Herbies and the Chicks were doing, you know, um, or the Jackie Terrasons or those kind of people. If that, that was more considered, I won't say the appropriate style, but the, the more comfortable style for the, the uh, I would say, the critics or the people, you know. And that was kind of a, a left turn. But it was very successful. But it showed about his writing. It showed about the Holler production, and that was an incredible record, man. I'm for that concern, you know. I don't know if you ever heard that one, but yes, I owned it. Yes, yeah. So yeah, but yeah, it was it was it was a departure, like what the, from the Jazz Crusaders to the Crusaders, departure from what is considered the norm and the the norm and the comfort zone, whether it's anything, whether it's people's lifestyle, whether it's their association with their ethnicity or whatever it is. When you get away from that, even if you're not throwing stones at it, it's an uncomfortable zone for those people to associate and be familiar with what's, what is happening and look at the essence of the real quality and the goodness of those things and what the departure might have been or could be and to pay attention instead of, of stigmatizing it and to say, this is not what I'm used to in a general sense. I hope I'm clear what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, I think and it's, it bears out in a lot of your adventure, uh, how adventuresome you've been in the music that you've gotten into and released that you continue to do and that you're going to do this year. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, keep pushing the envelope, right? I, I, I want to. You use that, that, that phrase, that analogy, pushing the envelope, because I might be inspired like I'm looking out my window now over, in the, over Lake Washington. And like I did the record, because you know, you probably noticed that I read about I like to go fishing. When I did the record, you know, and, uh, you know, you get inspired just to maybe see a dolphin flying over or whatever, you know, uh, because there have been, you know, somebody who did somebody wrote a tune called Dolphin Dance, I think. But it, but, but I'm just saying, you, you know, what, Hancock, what, yeah. yeah. And I'm just saying, you know, you get a get 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 inspired by things. And sometimes it might not be played in the same genre. In other words, if I look out and I see mountain greenery, I might might want to think that I want to have some. Uh, my my swishes on my brushes, you know. You just, you know, you 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 get out and you 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 try. Because music is creativity, you know, audio creativity and expression of individuality, 
an association of what has inspired you. And so that's why, but if you get into a shadow that everything has to be done this way, and, and if you're uncomfortable not doing it that way, that's a bad situation too, even for the person who is doing it, doing their thing. I notice you're looking at it. I'm looking at a Herbie Hancock uh, thing that you have on, you know, that's, that's really something. Yeah. 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 And Herbie and I are really good, good friends. In fact, uh, you know, it's, I'm certainly not putting him, he's an incredible musician, you know, watermelon man. In fact, on his birthday, I wrote some funny stuff uh, on Facebook about him. I said, I hope he's having a good, day to day on his birthday and I hope that he, he uh, enjoys a watermelon man or, or get inspired to go to Cantaloupe Island, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you know, so it's all, in, it's all in, in fun and, and respect. When you respect craftsmanship, you respect craftsmanship, you know, and uh, that's what it is like, uh, that's whether it's a vocalist or whatever, but I am uncomfortable with, with people get locked into their comfort zone and, and, don't realize that if you just peep over a little bit, maybe you can find some comfort in that other zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense what I said? Oh, absolutely. Like you said earlier about, you know, that you got to be willing to fail to achieve yeah. new. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it circles back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Sticks, are you aware of the tremendous influence? I talked about peers, you know, being influenced on them back in the day. Mm-hmm. But even now, with a lot of the groups that are out, some of the younger, like jam band type groups, like mm-hmm. um, um, Lettuce or Galactic or Soul Live or Snarky Puppy, uh, I mean, all these groups tremendously influenced by the Crusaders. And you know, all of those, I appreciate what you said. I'm not aware of them at all, but it's nice that we've had that kind of influence and that our legacy, which means that it, it perpetuates itself in continuation. And it's just like what I said, but it would, and then you talk about name uh, uh, association and genre specification. It's like classical music. It was done, I don't even know why that term classical should be called more specifically music from a Baroque period or whatever it is, but it's still just as important today as if uh, Haydn was still living or Davis A or, you know, that's what music is about. It isn't like it's, it's old, that's old school because it, it was a hit then it ain't going to hit this month. You know <laughs> so I've, unfortunately, I would like to listen to those groups. If you can let my people know, that's another song, about uh, who those groups are, Snarky Puppy or whatever. I, I heard you say that uh, letters. I'd like to hear them, you know, and maybe even send them a, a letter of either thanks or uh, whatever, you know, because that, that's meaningful to me. Oh, I'd be glad to. I'll definitely shoot that over. And another one that I thought of that came along uh, like in the 80s was Jeff Lorber Fusion, uh, very influenced by the Crusaders, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Kenny G. Yeah. Kimber, if you know them. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We are similar, then I can, you know, relate to that uh, that whole situation. It was a, during that, the, it was a female singer, I mean, a saxophone player. Uh, Candy Dolfer? Yeah. Now you go. See, I, I had to, again, I had to think. And she was there definitely. See, you got you got more knowledge about this stuff than I do. But yeah, she was influenced by us and she admitted it, you know. Oh, how can you not be? I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, some people don't say that. some people say this is my thing. Do what you if, want. To if, do. If, you, if you got rhythm and appreciation <laughs> for, for funk and jazz, there's no way you could not be uh, either inspired or influenced. Well, in some opinion, people, so. some, some, but some people are not, not that acknowledged. You know what I mean? Don't mess with my stuff, you know. 
what was your feeling about uh, when that music industry brought in and perpetuated the category of smooth jazz? Well, I don't know because I played lumpy jazz all my life anyway. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying about categorization. How do you describe? That's another thing. How? Okay, I don't know if you have children. If you're whomever, you're going to send somebody to, to, I want you to learn how to play smooth jazz. What would be the criteria? See, those are marketing things. Like I said, jazz fusion, acid jazz, smooth jazz. I mean, it, it's association, but it's all, it's just the framework in which it's play, played but, but the titles are not depictive of what it really is. It's just a different a form, a form of playing within a certain format, whether it's with more electronics or whatever, but to call it, how could, what, what would be the description, if, even if you had to give, of smooth jazz? Well, to me, I feel like it was the record label's way of taking some of the edge out of jazz, you know, and making it just more uh, homogenous and more easily consumed by most people and are you are you getting back to the mi word we've been talking about <laughs> so i'm being honest and you can take this i don't care because people i've stated it a good friend of mine mark Cantor, and i talked about this i don't know do you know who he is but mm -mm. yeah mark Cantor. you should know he's a very important person and uh c-a-n-t-o-r and he did a thing we we taped a thing called a, a video called old man jazz have you heard that or seen that mm -mm. Well, you should look, definitely look at that. And uh, Ernie Andrews saying, and it's depictive of the legacy of what the back on 52nd Street and all that stuff. And see, like those people, don't, the, the young players don't even, they don't even know, they don't even know about uh, Billie Holiday or, you know, or, you know, the, all that kind of stuff, you know, what happened, you know, so. And, and, it's, and, and, and it really, not that I get violent or anything, when we say, well, that's old school. That term just bugs me, you know? It's no, it's, it's roots school, roots derivation, you know? And like I said, I said earlier, but if you don't know roots, it, 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 it's no such thing as old, old is, is, is good. In fact, some things in terms of food, you preserve it to become old. What, you know. How about originators? Yeah, that's, an, yeah, you know? Yeah, but, but they, they don't, they don't, they, they don't, that's not a reference point. And I shouldn't say they, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's a darn shame. But you know what? Uh, programs like this rail against that and try to help educate and uh, dispel some of that. So, And that's what I'm going to be doing on my show tonight. You listen to my broadcast. I'm doing a little bit because part of my uh, uh, being on the broadcast on KJazz is a combination of being, and I hate to know this in other terms, or DJ, because there's no such thing as a disc jockey anymore. But DJ is associated with a negative term. But anyway, I do an educational thing. I introduce the, the music. And when, in, the, in the introduction of my show, I state show or broadcast, I state what it's about and what the thematic content is going to be. That's part of the educational thing. And the music represents that thematic. You'll hear that tonight. And I want your comment about that, too, if you listen, 9 o'clock. It's on the uh, internet, too? Yeah, KJS, yeah. Okay. And where um, are you now? Speaking of, where are you? I'm actually outside Charlotte, North Carolina, mm -hmm. but um, I spent most of my life, and I'm born in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I worked with George, I think, the last George year, and we played in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, there used to be a nice jazz club there, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of but I haven't been to North Carolina that, that, that much, but uh, I heard it's a, it's a very interesting uh, state, you know. 
Oh, I love it. Except for the fact that I don't get to see nearly as much music as I used to in Los Angeles. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Is there a Crusaders album that you're most proud of? Mm. Boy, after doing all those albums, that's a that's a loaded question. Hmm. Hmm. It's hard for me to say, but I think the live albums I like the most. But I can't I can't recall which one. The, the spontaneity that happened, like even what the one where Re- Eleanor Rigby was on. Yeah, I have that one. Scratches here with uh, Eleanor yeah, Rigby yeah. on this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, like I said, it's, it's hard to say which. I enjoyed, like I said earlier, I enjoyed all of the records, which was my favorite. I, I just, it's hard to, to say. Do you, ha- do you have a favorite composition of your own? Of oh, mine? Yeah. Mm. Well, that's, that's kind of being pretentious, you know. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I like uh, Night Theme because I thought it, it created the mood that I was in as a composer. But I wrote some, in, like, even on my show, it's in a, a broadcast, it's called Lay It on the Line. And that's, that's the theme when you hear the show tonight. That's the music in the background. But I, I mean, I don't, I, it kind of sounds, like I said, pretentious and self-serving if I said it of my composition. I think it might have been something that was happening in your life and it came out through a composition. Well, yeah, that, that, that happened. Yeah, that, yeah. But I'm just that's why I said night theme, because it was the mood, you know. And if you listen to that and I discovered this young uh, trumpet player on the We Went West record, it's on that record. You look and listen to night theme. Uh, I like Samba del Cielo, which is on the orchestral thing. Um, yeah, I, it, it, it's, it's hard for me. I, I, I feel self, self-preserving when I, when I try to do that. The reason why I said night theme, because I know that was so inspired for the moment to be creative, which is what happens when you're creative, you know. Do you have any advice for aspiring drummers? Be able to be aware of everything that's going on around you harmonically, uh, and the spontaneity creatively, if you're in a, in a jazz group that has that, but be aware that a drum, a drummer keeps the momentum flowing, but you, there's other things that you can enhance with, with uh, textures and everything else. So be aware of those. And, and not that you have to be a keyboardist, but at least know where middle C is on the piano, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm being facetious, you know, and uh, but uh, that you know what a chord is, and you know how, how melodies work, how things flow, um, the textures of, of instruments, because you would not play uh, a, tr- uh, a triangle, triangle behind a steel guitar, you know. So, <laughs> and you, if you're a percussionist or whatever, let, learn learn your instrument and the compatibility within the framework in which you're working and the compatibility of other instruments and be knowledge of a whole, the whole musical experience other than your role to play time. Hey, Sticks, so great talking to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank and, you and for if, all the great music. Yeah, thank you for, for and, and, uh, associating with me and acknowledging those facts. Okay, okay, bye. All right, bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that 
By subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the Media Services section at FunkinStuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at FunkinStuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now... And as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.